Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Published author of both fiction and nonfiction books uh, for traditional publishers and indie. And I love talking about writing and other topics of interest with, uh, with everyone. But um, I mean, what does an interest a writer? And I'm, I know you're going to love the show today. Today, I'm, uh, going, I'd like to welcome my guest, Elizabeth McGuire, an American in Ireland who is working on a fascinating project called Flea Market Love Letters. And a short description of it is that she's collecting for the Flea Market Love Letters Archive Project, which began in 2015. The present mission of the project is to archive and preserve found vintage ephemera, which includes letters, postcards, photos, etc., often sourced at flea markets. There are now nearly 300 letters in the archive, and that number is growing. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much. It's a beautiful day here in Dublin, so I'm, I'm happy to be, to be calling from a sunny evening. We don't get many of them. <laughs> oh, that's great, and I have you trapped inside on a show. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I've got my favorite tree out the window. I'm, I'm watching it turn to autumn every day. It's, it's one of those little things. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, and it's raining here in Houston, Texas. <laughs> well, I, must, I, sent, I sent you the rain. You sent me the sun. That's how we'll say. Okay. <laughs> it's a fair trade. Um, I, you know, usually I, I like to read a bio and introduce our guests, but today I'm going to do something different. I, I would just like to ask you about yourself, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, how you got to Ireland and, and how you um, got interested in this project, which is fascinating. Sure. Sure, I I I uh, I'm happy to. Um I won't keep it too long cuz I'm not the interesting part of it, but um I uh, my name is Liz and I am um from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania originally. I moved to Dublin in 2018 to study for my masters and um I have a master's in marketing, so during the day I sort of I'm sort of like Clark Kent during the day I work for a jewelry company. And on the nights and the weekends, I run flea market. So um, 
flea market is my passion project. It's a community-based project, and I started collecting for it when I was in high school. So it, I technically started kind of in the early 2000s, around there. And uh, I had this massive uh, love for letters that I had found at flea markets, and, you know, I had collected single letters, collections of letters, postcards, photos, all sorts of things. And in 2017, I was working from home, much like I am now, and um, I kind of needed something to really just start my creative engine again because I was working in a, in a recruitment role, and it was a great job, but it, was, you know, it, it wasn't very creative. So I looked at these binders of old letters I had, and I said, you know, maybe I could do something with those. And, and that's how Flea Market kind of it came to the Internet was when I, was when I started, that pro- started photographing the letters and typing them up then. But um, I learned very quickly that what I thought was interesting, which was the, um, initially the envelopes, Nobody else thought the envelopes were interesting. So when I when I when oh, I realized I when I realized that maybe it wasn't the envelopes, it was more the letters people were interested in. People started to to read a little bit more. It wasn't just a stamps page. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so um, wow, it must have been such a transition moving to Ireland. Everything. I mean, how different was that for you? Oh, massively. Um, so I am a dual citizen, so I have an Irish dad and an American mom, and uh, I have a dual passport, so I'm very lucky because we don't have to, I don't have to sort of go through the student visa process or anything like that, but um, when I was looking to move, it took about a year of preparation because uh, I, I was sort of in my early 20s, and I had kind of, you know, as happens when you graduate school, you get that starter set for a home. You get your pots and your pans and your sheets and your all your right. things. And, and, and then you just sort of go, I'm going to move to Europe with two suitcases. And you're sort of like, uh, does anybody need a frying pan? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it took, it, took, it took a fair bit of organizing. <laughs> well, um, when you uh, did you start this project or was it a project that um... – was existing, or tell us a little bit about this. It began in 2015, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I started it, um, and I am I'm very you know conscious of the fact that I like to say in the beginning of any time I'm talking about the project, it's not for profit. So there's no part of the project where I make any sort of income off of the letters or anything. Um, it's all done through a passion for sharing and building the community. Uh, so it's it's me and my laptop and my cell phone and about 500 vintage letters all in one room. So it's uh it's it's a it's definitely a labor of love. But I I love talking to people and um, hearing their letter stories and how the letters affect them. It's a uh, it's it's a great project. That sounds delightful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I think you're probably um, going to wind up a writer eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's sort of how most writers I know are, besides me. So, um, yeah, you're probably going to wind up doing that. But um, do you have anyone who's, who's come up beside you to help yet, or do you want people to help or, or join in to this project or contribute? Yeah. So I um, recently, uh, the project kind of went through an incredible growth spurt. Uh, we were having readers join us, and I say readers. We're on Instagram, and, and I built a website in 2019. We were having readers come, you know, drips one, two, three every couple months, 
and then it got a little it, people started sharing it more and they started talking about it more and recently we got a, a a healthy surge of interest in the project and what came with that was something that I'm really excited about which are a lot of people writing and saying you know I love what you've done but can I tell you about my mom's letters can I tell you about you know the letter I found in the back of a drawer can I tell there are a lot of stories that people have that they don't you know they don't fit into their normal lives so they don't have anywhere for that to go but they have this secret interest or this passion for this letter or this collection of postcards or whatever it may be that is from your personal or family history and they want it they want it to go somewhere so i see the project in the next year or so really becoming you know more of a community based project and i already have a few um blog posts and things lined up that i'm working with different sort of readers on because they've written and they've said, you know, can I send you the scans of the letter? Can I send you these things? One person even wanted to send me the physical letter because they'd gotten it from a flea market and they were like, I don't have anything to do with this, but if you want it, I'll mail it to you. So there's I, the project is going in an incredible place and at a pace which I am so excited because people are they're showing up and they are chatting to me and they are coming out with some incredible stories that I can't wait to share. Oh, that sounds great. Um, (laughs) I I love to check my phone in the morning because I'm five hours ahead of of the East Coast, at least. And, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, I've got these incredible messages from people. And they're just sort of like, I don't want to bother you. But what do you think about reading this, you know, letter from 1913? And I'm like, please, Tracy, send it on. Happy to. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you had if you had a show or something where you could some of these letters? Um, I mean, that would be cool. I think so. yeah. But, um, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's, I, I love getting ideas from, uh, you know, professionals like yourself who are a writer and who have, you know, we were chatting a bit earlier about your experience in podcasting. And I just think, um, you know, when I started this project, I was in my pajamas with my laptop and my cell phone, and I was kind of just taking pictures of envelopes. And now I'm at the stage where just last week, actually, um, we, in the month of September, I started, ran, and ended a fundraiser for veterans, and um, we raised $1,500 as a community, and that's the first time we'd ever done, as a as flea market, or I say we, um, we'd ever done anything like that, because I'm so sensitive about doing anything with the project, where it seems like I'm profiting off of it, uh, right. and, in, and in this case, um, I, I really, I had to go to some people that I really trust and I love and they sat me down and they were like, you have people, uh, who want to support the project and they want to know how to. So we, we came up with the idea for fundraising for veterans. So I'm really excited to kind of look at different opportunities in the future about how the project can profit veterans and military families. Yes. I mean, and maybe even an online museum or, I mean, who knows? This is such a historic, these are historical treasures, I think, you know, but I I think people would like to know a little bit about some of the letters. Um, And you've got four sets of of different letters that were on your site. And I thought maybe Mm -hmm. we could talk about some of those. Um, Sure. Like, let's see, the Frankenfield sisters, and 1428 Northampton Street. Jesse and Bessie. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. So, can you tell us a little bit about those? And and um, I mean, that must have you must have just been drawn into their the story with each letter. But but we'll wait for you to tell that. 
So um, they are a pair of twin sisters who um, were from Pennsylvania, and their letters were um, with their bows serving in World War One. So I, I think there's you know maybe ten or twelve of these letters, um, which is uh, for for the letter collecting is is a fairly decent size. I have some collections that are forty five, and then I have others that are three. Mm. So a ten to twelve series letter, and it, it might be more. Um, is is a pretty decent insight into kind of you know the, these people's lives, and I had collected them and I had archived them and shared them living in Dublin. So I've lived here since 2018, and when I went back to, uh, I'm from Pennsylvania originally. When I went back to Pennsylvania in 2019, um, my dad, who's right up this alley with me, was like, "I have an idea. Let's look up where some of the addresses on your letters are from." And I was like, "Okay, well, it's you know." The middle of the summer, I'm on holidays. Let's see what we can do. So we drove actually to the house that these twins, Jesse and Bessie, lived in um, 100 years ago. And I was able to stand on the front porch with this letter that had been delivered in July 1919 and July 2019. And wow. I, I'm getting goosebumps telling you this standing here now <laughs> because it just, it, I took this, it, that was one of the first times where the project really became like, you know, a, a real moment because I was standing there and I was thinking this letter had had arrived here a hundred years ago. So many, you know, so many things have happened. Um, and it actually is interesting. The twin sisters from that story ended up marrying, neither of them married the gentleman that they were writing. So they were just genuinely sort of pen pals. Um, and they weren't, the letters weren't particularly, you know, my darling, I love you. They were, and most of the letters that I have aren't very ardent love they're more friendship or getting to know one another. And uh, the twin sisters from that story ended up, I believe, if I've done their genealogy or their backstory correctly, and I have, I've written about it for the site, um, they remained unmarried and they were school teachers and they, they died in their, in their 80s and their 90s um, in that house. So it was, it was quite, a, quite a spiritual moment, I won't lie. <laughs> and they kind of became like school moms, I guess. You yeah. Know. Yeah, and I, I can I can confirm because this is a question people often ask that the bows did live because I've talked about this before and someone was like, oh well, you know, people always want it to be very. They want to say like, oh, did one of them die? And you know, one of the sisters couldn't go on, so the other didn't marry because she was. And it's it's not quite that. I don't know why the relationships fizzled, but I do know that both of their bows came back and went on to you know marry and live happy lives elsewhere in the U.S. But Jesse and Bessie stayed stayed in Pennsylvania. It's all the romance novels everyone has read. You, know? <laughs> you want the happy ending, but maybe their ending was still happy, you know, with the, the sisters remaining together and doing their jobs. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, that's their story. That's their story. So that's cool. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you... Genealogy sometimes, like on Ancestry or some other sites, where you kind mm-hmm. of track them down and, and see if they're living relatives now who might be interested or have yeah. more to say. Um, so when I started the project, I was really intimidated by genealogy because it is it is you the the people who do it professionally and as hobbyists, I bow down because it is you know. You could spend six hours, and I always tell I always tell you could spend six hours, and you could have looked up the wrong uncle. 
So you could be up a completely different <laughs> tree than the one that you want to be trying to find. So it is finding a needle in a haystack. And I wasn't particularly interested in the genealogy until last year when I shared a series of letters, which was a love triangle. And I really don't like to say love triangle because it makes it feel kind of, I, I don't agree because these are real people's lives and eh, I just get a bit squeamish around love triangles. But it was yeah. a woman who was involved in letters, at least with two men during World War II. And uh, one of the men died actually, and it was a reader of the, the project who messaged me and was like, you know, because I put all of the information up, I put addresses, names, and all that kind of stuff, anybody who's interested does, and this reader messaged me and was like, you know, I looked them up, and I can tell you pretty confidently this is such and such as day he died, 1943, and, and that kind of thing. So that was really the first time where a reader started talking to me about genealogy, and I wasn't yeah. so intimidated by it anymore yeah. because it, it felt good to know sort of how that story played out. But but elsewhere before that, I had sort of been like, you know, I just have the letters I have, and that's that's what I know. But, oh, now now I do a genealogy blog for every letter collection that I share. So I love to go in knee-deep into Ancestry now, and I find all their high school pictures and all their World War One draft cards, and <laughs> I, uh, I dig deep. <laughs> that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Well, let's uh, let's see. Let's talk about um, the Green Brothers. Since we talked about mm-hmm. sisters first, let's talk about the Green Brothers. There's something in there about Spanish flu. They they talk about that in some of their letters. And so um, I'm just going to let you go with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't go too long on them because um, I'm conscious. I told you earlier I can talk about letters. Uh, but um, so the Green Brothers are a pair of brothers from New Hope, New Mexico, or from excuse me, Hope from Hope, New Mexico, and they are uh, Alfred and Rex, two brothers that sign up for World War One, and they are writing home to their family. So uh, when I started cataloging these letters, the Green Brother letters, I thought this was, you know, great. It was I like you're saying I had the sisters, I had the brothers. I actually have a few sets of sibling letters. Um, so they're they're really great insights into different different windows, but the Green Brothers um, I find particularly I'm I'm attached to them in a different way because one of the brothers is particularly earnest while the other is very withdrawn. So the brother Alfred, uh, you know, he writes home every two days, and in the letters he starts his letters with you know. This is the this is, World War One is almost over. We don't know that at the time he's just joined services and he's writing home and he's saying, you know, be proud of me, be proud of what I've done. I would love to be at home right now, but I'm not at home and I'm focusing on this and you know this is why I'm doing this. And he's just he's very conflicted. You can tell in his writing because he's very earnest, but he's also kind of scared. And yeah. um, it's it's very powerful and and so that's the kind of holding that in my hand when I write when I type them up when I transcribe them is is an intense experience. It's made more so when uh, someone from you know 102 years ago or 100 years ago is talking about well we just got out of quarantine and isn't it such a shame that that flu is happening? It sure seems bad and you're sort of sitting here and you're going that seems very familiar. <laughs> 
that kind of fits home a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, hmm, okay, yeah. Oh, you, you're in quarantine and you're going to be in there for two weeks. Okay, when was this written? Oh, May 1918? Great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's why I kind of like uh, latched onto that right away because uh, it's it's what we're going through now. I mean, of course, um, the Spanish flu um, was probably worse, I think. I don't know. Mm. I, I know six of one half dozen of the other, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's. I think. Yeah. I think there's. There's certainly a lot to. Uh, the, the the thing that I'm drawn to about it is just the shared human experience and the fact that history does repeat itself. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of you know the, the the shared experience for me was standing on Jesse and Bess's porch with this letter and being like. Uh, I this was here a hundred years ago and kind of feeling their presence and but then at the same time I'm sitting in my living room in Dublin Ireland holding a letter from California that was sent to New Mexico that's talking about the Spanish flu and the piece for that that I that I attach myself to is you know I'm in quarantine as well or I have been and and it's really interesting to just kind of to to feel that human connection. What about uh, let's move on from the flu to. The Sandy and Harry letters, the World War II oh, yeah. War Romance. Let's have a little of that. <laughs> <laughs> a little dash of romance. Uh, so this is a really fascinating series. This is two series of letters uh, within the one collection. So the first handful of letters are she's writing to she's an English girl who the war has ended, and she has a American GI fiance, and uh, he's left her in England. <laughs> But he's he's done the thing where he's like, I'll come back for you, sweetheart. And she's sort of like uh, really expecting it to happen. So a lot of the letters are sort of like, you know, um, if I'm going to mail you the form that I need you to sign so that I can move to New Jersey to to marry you like we talked about. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So there's there's a handful of those. Um, And it's kind of it's very special. The last letter I do have from that sort of 1940s window is her mother writing to him saying, you know, I've sent her off this week. Let me know when she gets there. Like, so you do, so that first series ends with all of this nervousness kind of culminating in this new adventure she has about going off to live in the United States. And then, so, I mean, okay, this has never happened then. before. Yeah, it's, uh, okay. it's, this is, the, it's just, it's, it's it's an incredible and then to have these letters from as well from 1952 she goes back and spends a summer with her family in England that mind you she hasn't seen since I think 1946 or 1945 mm. whenever it is she hasn't seen them for nearly 10 years and she takes their two daughters to go and live with her family for a summer and it also happens to be the summer of Queen Elizabeth's coronation so there are these just incredible first-hand accounts of you know the the parades and the streets and the coronation parties and oh. you know who's baking what for the party and oh, that's nice. that's the first series I shared and it is it is a good one. <laughs> that is such a blockbuster right there. <laughs> where did she live in the U.S.? Where where did I mean she married her man? And yeah. where did she move to? So they, know, moved, they I believe they lived in New Jersey. If not New Jersey, they lived. Um, in Pennsylvania for a time. Um, but the kind of interesting thing, especially about those letters, and I get this question a lot, do I censor the letters? Um, I did. I did for those letters. And I, I'm unabashed about this, the 1952 letters, 
She is a married woman who is away from her husband for a period of time. There were details in those letters that spouses would share that I didn't think other people (laughs) 100 years later needed to know about. So I get this question. I I don't censor historical things or language. I'll post it and then I'll maybe post about why we think about it differently now in 2020. But in, in those letters, there was the, I, I sort of read some of them and I was I, I you know I did a winky face and I was like well, we won't include that we'll just leave that part out. <laughs> I, I can see well you know it's an it's an intimate um, thing between exactly. a husband and wife and and they never meant for anybody else to see it you know yeah. so I'm I'm, unab- I'm unabashed about censorship there I always get that I'm like nope there are some parts of those letters that are between. The two of them and me, and they won't go anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, in these days, we have so little privacy. Uh, you mm-hmm. think that something's private between you and someone else, or even words between friends, but but I, I don't think a lot of what we do or say or think or <laughs> is private these days, you know, mm-hmm. not as as we think. So, letters. <laughs> but even letters, I mean, that. That's really our um, it's sort of an archaeology project you have. You're not you're you're digging through flea markets instead of under the ground, but um, they're discarded. These are things that are, um, I for whatever reason, have you thought about this, um, why people let go of these things and either give them away to resale shops or places like that? Like I'm talking. Not only letters, but family pictures and mementos and things like that. Yeah, uh, I think this is this is a very timely and important question, and I have two answers, and I'll be quick. But the first one is, if you are in possession of family letters, I recommend preserving them. Um, and how I do that is, I put them into plastic sleeves, so binder sleeves. Um, you can get a binder from the dollar store and a hundred sleeves for five bucks take the letters out of the envelopes, keep them with the envelope, but flatten the letter out and put it into an individual plastic sleeve. protects the letter from water, mildew, all sorts of things. And it also kind of, you know, it keeps it in your mind of saying, okay, I know where that is. So you're not going, oh, I don't know where I put that bundle of paper. So the first thing I say is if you are in possession of family letters, preserve them uh, the best you can. And the next part I would say is I'll reference a, a reader who wrote in recently um, about letters that she knew her were in her family, and um, she knew of them as a young girl. And when she got into her 20s, she re- replied to the family, or she she went to the family, and she said, you know, I'd like to have those letters that I knew about. And they were letters from a parent to a, a, a parent to a parent, um, and one of the parents had since died. So they had died when the girl was very young. And she was saying, you know, I, I want those letters between, you know, whether it was mom and dad or dad and mom. And uh-huh. the, the parent the parent who was living said, I've burned them. Oh. And, yeah. And so the girl was kind of like, you know, she the, the parent had died when the girl was very young. She didn't have a relationship with them. Then she knew these letters in secret. She'd read them in secret. She She felt she had a connection with the parent through the letters. Years later, she went back and she said, can I have them? And they said, no, because I've, you know, I've destroyed them. And this, this woman and I were talking back and forth in the last few weeks. You know, we were emailing. And she and I got onto the topic of closure. 
and the idea that, you know, while I don't condone <laughs> burning vintage letters, I also understand why for that parent who was widowed for 25 years, it was cathartic and a, and a moment of closure to, to close that relationship with their decision to, to destroy the letters, to burn the letters, to keep it private. So I don't know why people get rid of things, but since the project has started, I have changed my attitude from, you know, save everything, everything is critical, to this kind of idea of, you know, approach it gently. This, these are people's lives. You have to ask, you know, what are the feelings attached to this? Did people get rid of the letters because they didn't get along with the person in the end? Or did they get rid of them because they were too painful to see? What, 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 each, each letter has a different story to it, and, and I'm really learning about that idea of the relationship between the people and the letters. Yeah. It's, it must have been devastating for her, though, you know, to want to see those letters again and know that they were just utterly destroyed. Yeah. You know? it, it was, I think she and I, we, we got to talking and, you know, we were talking about the idea of closure, and I was even saying, that was when it first came up where I was kind of like, well, maybe it was a catharsis, and she wrote back and she was like, I, I don't know if it was, but I had never thought of it that way. And I'm not presuming that I, you know, suggested a, a therapy or a way to look at this, but it was just this kind of idea where there's a tenderness and a rawness there years after it happens because of the fact that we, we relate so deeply to the written word, and especially to the written word of family, that it is, it is a real, you really have to, every case is different. Yeah, I mean, it is. But, and, and how many letters are just sort of turning to dust in attics mm-hmm. or um, thrown in old trunks somewhere in a garage or, or just gets um, thrown in the dumpster? You know, there are so many yeah. things, um, fascinating things about people's lives and from their lives that are, just thrown out without a thought. And um, and I just wonder, I wonder why people do it. (laughs) And maybe that's, maybe, you know, like you said, yeah. You you said earlier that maybe I'll be a writer. I can tell you, you have a collector spirit. We have a, we have a very specific gene collectors. (laughs) And it's, it's this, it's this feeling, this fire that starts in your stomach when you hear, when you, when you hear or you see, you know, a bundle of letters or an album of photographs on a table, and you're sort of like, well, if no one else will take them, I will keep them. <laughs> well, that's because there's a story here, you know, and then yeah. later on you want to tell their stories, and, and that's how writers are born. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, as we were talking earlier, um, I believe that everyone has a story to tell. And, mm-hmm. I mean, if you ask people, most people say, Oh, I've always wanted to write a book. And a lot, you know, because of indie publishing now, a lot of people do, um, which doesn't mean they're going to be successful or does, or maybe, maybe, you know, some of them who do um, don't want to learn the craft of it before they do it. <laughs> and so they kind of pull the trigger on that too soon. But um, I mean, everyone does have a story to tell and I wouldn't disparage the fact that they have a right to tell it. It's just, yeah. uh, I believe in making it the very best story that you can tell. Like, you know, learn your craft. And, and that's advice to people out there who are thinking of, of writing stories. 
But, you know, learn your craft first. Learn how to do it right. Um, and then tell your story, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's be very funny you say that because I, I would love to, I love to read a lot of historical fiction. I don't know if that comes as any sort of a surprise. But <laughs> no. after I started doing the project, I couldn't get through most historical fiction books because I would read it and I would just be like, well, you jumped to, you know, the you jumped to the point on page 18 when we could we could have really teased this out and gotten to it, you know, 2 300 pages yeah. in. But because the interesting thing is, you know, oh, she has a twin sister that she didn't know about. Boom, it's on page 12. And you're sort of like, oh, all right. <laughs> yes, and see, that's also a mark of a writer. <laughs> You will read a book and you go, oh, no, no, no. They wasted this opportunity and they could have done this with it or they could have direction and it would have been more exciting and interesting and fun. And um, also reading historical fiction, um, you have to know your history and you have to know it in and out because the readers will call you on it. They're yeah. just amateur historians out there and they will call you on it. I remember there was one book where um, they talked about going to someone's home and ringing the doorbell. And it's like, hmm, that's interesting because there weren't any doorbells. <laughs> and at that time in history, there might have been like a, maybe a little copper bell you could have pulled the string on and, you know, rung up. But there there weren't those electric bells back then. <laughs> no, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's hard for um, for people used to modern uh, conveniences and modern things, you know, to go back that far and think, oh, that didn't exist. You well, know, so, so I run into this all the time with the letters because they're written upwards of 60 to 70 years ago. Grammar didn't exist in a, in a real structured way in 1918. <laughs> especially for a, you know, farm boy who's gone to World War One. So a lot of the spelling and even just the, ac- not the acronyms, but the, you know, can't didn't exist. C-A-N apostrophe T didn't exist. It was either cannot or an, 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 a misspelling of cannot. So when I'm transcribing things, I have to pay very specific attention to keep including the errors because I don't want someone to read a let to read my typing of a letter from 1918 and not see that you know I'm thinking specifically of the most recent letters. The, one of the Green brothers can't spell the word certainly correctly. He spells it with <laughs> all sorts of s's and e's, <laughs> and I made sure to include wow. that in as many places as possible where it was there because it's important to me that people understand. You know, perfect English is not something that has been around for a very, very long time. You're, you're writing a lot of uh, sick S-I-C in parentheses <laughs> by these words. I, I run along something and I'll be like, that is a very creative way to phonetically think how this word is spelled. <laughs> well, and that's interesting too because there's, it, there's a contrast with um, society today where a lot of people, because they text and they text in these really shortened versions of words mm-hmm. Um, that they don't know how to spell either. I, I find it really appalling <laughs> um, when I, I get texts or I I see things on social media and 
the people obviously do not how to spell these words, and they don't use all the correct words. Believe me, I'm there with you. I, I had um I had a reader write in a couple weeks ago. We were talking. She was contacted me through the website about how to um, preserve her letters. So she's in lockdown, and she was saying, you know, I listened to all this sort of talk about letters, and, and what could I do with them? And so I wrote back to her. I said, put them in a binder and all that kind of stuff I've said before. And she wrote back, and she said, I'm really worried that my grandkids won't be able to read the cursive. And so she said that she 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 asked me how I transcribe them. And uh, I said, well, you know, I, I open up a Word doc, and I basically keep it to my left, and I, I read it, and I write it as I go. And it's not a fast process because it is oftentimes difficult handwriting and spelling and all sorts sort of stuff. And a few weeks later, she emailed me back, and she was like, this takes a while, but I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> wow. It's like, well, there you, you know, go. <laughs> that's, you know, that's um... – kind of brings us into something else I wanted to talk about is penmanship. Mm. Do you think that's basically a lost art? Yeah. So um, unfortunately, I think we're we're leaning in the way where uh, screens and typing, I love them because I can, you know, con- connect with you from Dublin and, and we can chat back and forth. But the, the art of sitting down is just sitting down and writing is just evaporating. Um, and I, I often think, you know, recently with this, the fundraiser that I did, I, the, the phrase that we came up with, we were selling mugs and things. The phrase was uh, write more letters. And my, my partner is the graphic designer. And so when we started selling those, I said, I have an idea. And he was like, yeah. And I said, what if for the next time we do, my superpower is cursive. <laughs> And he was like, "Do you think people will buy that?" And I was like, "I think we should try." So uh, there, there might, there might be a, a pen or a mug out there with my superpower is cursive coming out. But I, I, I really course, think it's, it's a dying art form. It should be written in cursive, correct? <laughs> <laughs> my super, yeah, no, I with a little swish at the end, a little character. Oh, yes. <laughs> the flourish, all the flourishes, yes, all the flourishes, <laughs> and all the swishes, yes. Because um, I think um, when I work at old letters in my possession, the handwriting is changing. Cursive is, is gorgeous. And I know mm-hmm. I was never, I was never the best at cursive. I, mean, I could look at my grandparents or great, you know, look at their cursive, and it's like, hmm, I'm lacking. <laughs> but well, it's better than some of the cursive I see now. So it's it's been going down for a while. Yeah, Unfor- unfortunately, um, and it's one of the most when I you know on the Instagram when I post a picture of a letter, um, sometimes people will write and they'll be like, "How can you read this?" And the the shortest kind of answer is, "It takes me a while uh, when I start a new series because it's sort of like you're meeting a new person and you have to imagine that maybe you're pen pals with the person because you don't know their their writing." Um, so I have to sort of learn the person through the first few letters that I'll do. And those take some time because you have to go slowly and you have to see. We were talking, we were laughing about flourish there, but there are some some words that just go on and on and on with loop-de-loop-de-loops. And you kind of have to, you, I, I find myself having to sort of 
look back from the page. So rather than look at the words specifically, I have to take myself out of it and look at the, the whole page, and then it sometimes becomes a bit clearer what they're trying to say. But it, it, it's, it's, it's something I would, I would really, I would hate to see go completely away, is, is penmanship. Well, um, you were talking about how one of the Green Brothers wrote home every two days. And mm-hmm. we, have to, we have to remember that they weren't able to just pick up a phone and call, you know, pick up their own phone <laughs> and yeah. call or text or, you know, or communicate in any other way than through writing. I mean, and that's why these, and you can imagine these soldiers, these young men, um, they were homesick and they were yeah. afraid afraid of dying. I mean, did you see the movie 1912? Of course. Of course. I, yeah. I, we just, I, made, I, made, I made my partner sit through Unbroken the other day, and it's oh, a, the three-hour-long World War II movie. And he looked at me, and he's like, you are a weird girl. And I was like, why? <laughs> he was like, who picks Unbroken on a Sunday afternoon? And it's like 90 minutes of it is just prison camps. And I was like, it's so stoic. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was awesome, too. You know, I, yeah. I took my 88-year-old mother to that, and um, she was so into it. She has dementia, but yet she was so into it. And she she yelled out at one point, leave him alone, you bastard. <laughs> what? My mom said really? that. She never cursed in her, you know, she never cursed. And there you have it. <laughs> she believed. She believed. They needed yes. to leave him alone. Yeah. So anyway, um, (laughs) I had to share that. But, um, but, you know, when people hear someone's story, I mean, they they may not they may not get it from um, listening to the person tell it to them. I mean, so many of our our veterans and um, elderly people are are passing away before their stories are told. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a Girl Scout leader, I took uh, my Girl Scouts into a nursing home as a project and mm. had the girls interview um, some of the residents and tell their stories. And then the girls took pictures with them and wrote their stories down. And we gifted the nursing home with this um, scrapbook for them to have. And I, it was just so cool because after we finished the project, some of the members passed away, and so we got to tell their story. Yeah, that's that's very powerful, and that's that's really, I think, uh, the the most important thing is just honoring people's memory through their stories is is very important. Do you think that um, children should interview their parents and ask them things? Because you, you know, you wonder about things after someone is gone. And they're not mm. there to ask anymore. Mm. Um, and especially if they do find letters, they could say, hey, can you tell me about more about this? Yeah. I think it's very important. Um, and I think it's also important to frame, to, to frame that conversation from a place of total non-judgment. Because a lot of people, you know, older people or people who, we have, we have, everyone has moments in their lives where they're not the proudest. And yes. when you're when you're asking someone to sit down and tell their life story, you don't want to know, you know, every great cake they baked. 
you want you want to know their story, and unfortunately, that story sometimes comes with those moments you're not always very proud of. And so, coming at it from a place of love and respect, and saying, you know, this is between you and me. I want to know about you as a person, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is a very powerful connective moment. And, and I would say, absolutely, if if you know okay. whether you're you're doing it for a school assignment or you know you you have an elderly parent who's who's starting to go. You can. You really have to have to hold on to that, and and maybe come from it an angle of, you know, I'm a person, you're a person. I want to know about you as a person, not just as a parent. Yeah, it was it was nice because I know that I did that with my mother and my father, and when my father mm-hmm. passed away, I I was able to you know post uh, the highlights of his life for people mm. to read along with pictures and it's it's nice to have that it's nice to have that um especially especially if you write your own (laughs) then you can be sure of quality you know yeah well this is this is the question i get about censorship about you know what do you keep or do you exclude and i often will tell people sometimes there are letters right that are dated august 15th 16th 17th 1942 and then the next letter i get could be september 10th and in that letter, it's a GI, and he's going, I'm really sorry about what I said last time. I didn't mean it. And I don't have the last time letter. Uh-huh. So I think what the thing people really have to remember is that there are there is self-editing going on to a degree before I get a hold of anything. Well, <laughs> so when you, you write mean, your own story, you have your own control. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that letter might have gotten um, the receiver so angry that they tore the letter up or something, and you wouldn't know that. You know, yeah. but I, you know, yeah. I often think of, you know, I, I don't like censorship, I, you know, I, unless it's self censorship, like mm. if you don't want to hear something that should be up to you, but mm. um, unless you're doing something illegal, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, um, I think of, I think of King David in the Bible who, um, Everything, everything he did was written about when he had the affair and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I don't think many of us would be comfortable with that, you know, just having yeah. like all the bad things and all the good things written down. But it's a good example. It's a good example. Well, I wonder and, if that even comes from this. We were talking earlier, the idea of, of, you know, what is private anymore because of social media and computers and kind of the access that we are conditioned to give to our lives. You know, we do we do so much yeah. of, of self-editing and self-presentation, and I'm in marketing, so I'm very used to, you know, how do I pitch the best side of myself? And, you know, that example there you have about, about the King David is the example of that is a, a hero or a leader who is not presenting himself. He is being presented, and, and like I was saying earlier, the good, the bad, and the ugly – and maybe are we putting pressure on ourselves on, on social media and in the present day to just present the good? You know, there is there is there is beauty yeah. in the bad and the ugly as well. There there is because it forms our character. It it forms Absolutely. who we are. And um, to know about someone else's history is like, well, life wasn't perfect back then. They had their struggles just like we have our struggles, and they made mistakes just like we did. And I think learning from history. Is not that we always practice it, but you know, if you can learn from others' mistakes, then maybe, maybe you won't make the same ones. You'll make different ones, yeah. likely, but but maybe not the same ones. Well, have fun with a few mistakes. You gotta throw a few yeah. in there. 
because it, it, you know that forms who you are. You learn from from your failures, definitely. Mm. But um, where would you like to see this project go? And you're in your if you were just to dream big, which is the only way to dream, I think. Where would you like to see it go? Do you see like a a movie? <laughs> do you, see, do you see, you know, what do you see? Um, so when I started it, I didn't have the aspiration for it to really be anything outside of an Instagram account. Um, when I, when I got to a point where I thought, you know, I've got a hundred plus letters posted on an Instagram account, oh, I should put those somewhere a little bit more organized. Then I, I used, uh, used another website and then that got very complicated and I just looked at it and I said, this is very complicated and this is very complicated. Why don't I just build it myself? So I built my own website, and that was a big moment for me last year. I sat down and I hammered it out, and that was where I thought, okay, that's the goal for 2019. I didn't even know it at the beginning of the year, but by the end of 2019, I was like, okay, I built the website. This is where flea market has gone. Okay. And then in 2020, I got to the idea where I was like, you know, what am I going to – where is this going to go? So I built a newsletter. So I started asking people to subscribe to a newsletter so I could send stories more specifically directly to them to make sure that they were seeing them. And I thought, okay, great. 2020 was the year of the newsletter. We're doing great things. We're getting the word out there. (laughs) Then this incredible opportunity happened for the fundraiser. And I, I said earlier, but I started it, produced it, and ended it in September. I mean, in literally like four to six days, I organized with the help of so many people, I organized this fundraiser to run for two weeks. And when that was over, I looked at myself and I was like, okay, that was the goal for 2020. So the, the, goal, the goal keeps moving. And I love that about the project because there is, there, is no, there is no point where I think I'll go, I'm done with that now. That was five good years. I'll leave that be. I just keep seeing it as, well, people seem interested. I'll do a newsletter. Well, you know, maybe I can sell some mugs to help veterans. We'll see what we can do. And so I don't – you could ask me in spring of 2021, and I could say, you know, I want a TV show. And by the fall of 2021, I could say, I want an entire series of books. By the end of 2022, I could want a presidential library. There's all sorts of things that could come. But I'm very excited by having the opportunity to kind of grow with it as it goes. I, you know – I think it would be fascinating for you to have like a sit down interview um, with, with maybe the, the, either the person who wrote a letter, you know, they might be very elderly mm-hmm. um, if they're still able to communicate well, or their descendants, you know, what they know what their parents told them about it, you know, with just family members and stuff and people would get to see them and hear them and, and hear you mm-hmm. and, and hear their story. So I think that's yeah, a beautiful idea. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've thought before about podcasting or about producing little videos um, sort of to, to bookend the different collections because people are – I have some readers who will, the day I start a collection, they will read every letter as it goes up, and they will comment on every letter, and they will decide <laughs> – like it's very funny, as it goes up, they'll decide where they think – this person's story is going. So they'll comment on it and they'll be like, I don't know, he seems very apprehensive about this. <laughs> it's like, I reply and I'll be like, well, next, tomorrow's letter 
sure I'll tell you more about what he feels apprehensive about. And then I have other people who are just kind of like they scroll the page and they go, oh, this looks like a fun project. And those are the people that I think video or podcasting or, or audio projects would appeal to because it's that, it's that much more personable style of stuff. But then I know I have my, my old guys in the corner who, are, who read every blog post and every post, and they, they adopt the, the letter writers as well. So it would be exciting to see where it could go. I, I think it would be interesting if you found an individual who kind of wrote bland letters back home, mm-hmm. um, but maybe was raising Cain in real life. <laughs> you oh, know, like I didn't even te- I didn't even tell this part of the story, but I'm doing the Ooh. genealogy for the Green Brothers, and I noticed pretty throughout that the one brother was very aloof, and the one brother Alfred is very loyal, and then he, you know he writes home so often, and then the other brother is just kind of like the letters drop in occasionally, and he's sort of very distanced. And I picked up reading that, and I was like, I wonder what that means. When I did the genealogy, I found out that the brother Alfred married, you know, a nice girl from the town. They had three kids. They lived a very quiet life. And then I found out that Rex, the other brother who's very out there, he seems to have married a woman who was either married three times since she was like 14 years old, and either had one to four children, and he was her fourth marriage. There was, okay. but she was still married to the first guy. <laughs> you well, know, they, when they got married, when Rex and her got married, and I was doing this genealogy, and it, it, I was sitting there, and I was going, I think I figured it out. And, and Sam was like, you know, he was looking at me, and he was, you look all stressed out. I was like, I think I just figured. I think Alfred's the good brother, <laughs> and I think Rex is just wild. <laughs> See, and that, that's the fun part, I think, of what you're doing, you know, is finding out, hmm, there's something behind this. This letter seems awfully bland, but then in real yeah, life. It's very wild. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I want to, would you, would you tell people how they can connect with you on social media or, or you know, if they want to be a part of this project, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Letter. I encourage anyone, and more people have this than they kind of think, if they sit and think about it, they know they do, to uh, head to the website. So the website is the easiest way, www.fleamarketloveletters, it's all one word, um, .com. And there's a little contact us submission box on there. Write me a note. I, I've said this before. I love waking up to these emails of, you know, I have my grandmother's letter from, you know, before she emigrated, before World War II, would you be interested in seeing it? I have this, that, or the other. I have my dad's letters from Vietnam. You know, what should I do with them? I love this. So the easiest way to get in touch with me is to head to the website and send me a note there. Or if you're on Instagram or Facebook, you can find us just by searching Flea Market Love Letters. So it's the name across all three, the website, the Instagram, and the Facebook. I check messages on all three. I get, if I'm chatty here, I trust you I'm chatty there. So come on over. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm going to go over after this and join you on Instagram and Facebook, you know, because I have a yeah, friend. Yeah, no, I love you. I, I ever hear of you. <laughs> I, have, I have a feeling about this. <laughs> <laughs> and you never know what's next. Um, you know, I mean, I think this is uh, a wonderful project, and um, I'm just so glad you're doing it. I'm just so glad you're Thank doing you it. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so glad. I'm so thankful you you had me on this evening. 
it means everything to be able to talk to, to like-minded collectors like yourself. Uh, and maybe I will write down the line, but I have to say it's very symbolic here. It has just started raining. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, that means maybe you sent the sun over here and it'll get sunny. So I'll take I it. I hope so. I, look, I looked out the window. I said, oh, it's become an Irish evening. It's just started raining. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had such a delightful time talking to you. Um, I'm going to call you Liz because you said people call you Liz. So Please do. I'll- people so I'm calling you Liz and it's been so delightful just chatting and really really enjoyed this and enjoyed this fascinating project please connect with um with Elizabeth McGuire and um you won't regret it it's it's um I think it's just getting going it's just getting started this thing's going to be awesome thank you so much (laughs) thank you so much I'll talk to you again hopefully soon Hopefully soon. Have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.